0: I'm sitting here at McCracken Middle School with Chip. How do you say your last name? Uh, Di Stefano. Chip A. Stefano. <laughs> Robert Herrings. And uh, how are we today, Robert? Doing
1: great. 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 cold, but great. Cold.
0: Well, what's the temperature back home?
1: Well, actually, when I left, it was actually in the 40s, believe it or not. We had just had a, quote, cold front. So, be sure you laugh at that. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, when I get back, it'll be in the 70s. You know how it is. It's just the way and it is.
0: For our for our people at home, where is home for you?
1: I am, live in Cedar Park, Texas, which is a suburb outside of Austin, Texas. Um, and so, that's where I'm
0: currently residing. Okay. So... Let's go ahead and start this thing, um, kind of how we normally start, which is your musical upbringing. Where awesome. you started, who were some mentors, uh, where you're at now.
1: Cool. I am actually uh, a child of, there was music in my family growing up. So my family started a church. I grew up in McGregor, Texas, which is a small um, city or town, excuse me, outside of Waco, Texas. And uh, that we had a home church there. That's called Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. And that's where my uh, family opened that church and we were, my grandfather or my great grandfather was the uh, musician for that church. And so I actually started playing piano when I was five years old. And so I've been playing piano since five. And then I joined band in fifth grade um, and was a trumpet player. And then um, of course ended up going to Bailey university. Um, i studied with Barry Hopper when I was uh, a high school student um, that led me into, you know, going to Baylor University. And then after going to Baylor University, I uh, wanted to move to Austin. So luckily, uh, my junior year, Kevin from, uh who was at UT at the time, came to Baylor University as well as Riff, with Rudd. And so that ended up being a really amazing experience, which um, helped me get into the Austin scene. Um, and then, you know, throughout my time, even when I was at Baylor, I had Kevin Setatal uh, and um, Michael Hathcock and uh, Jeff Grogan, you know. Those guys were so influential in my career, and I'm so thankful to have met them. Um, actually, I had Jeff Grogan as a Waco Symphony Youth Orchestra member. He was conducting the Waco Symphony Youth Orchestra at that time. And so, um, and of course, Michael Heathcock was doing the Waco Air Youth Ensemble as well as. Um, Jerry so it was just you know such a great experience and those guys were have been truly inspirational you know throughout my career and of course you know there's along the way you know you have your piano teachers and your band directors and you know those type of people that have been you know major in my life especially my piano teacher Frances and she was amazing but from there you know that's kind of where I am and and how I've gotten to where I am these days my greatest mentor you know outside of you know the those guys have been you know like the Cindy Lansfords, the Melanie Ann Mallows the Jolette Wines the uh, Susan Scarborough's those guys, those females are so you know great in what they do, um, and so I'm you know very blessed and very honored to you know have them in my life as well.
0: All right, well, thank you. So, um, could you tell me then a little bit? Here's here's the thing I'm particularly interested in, and um, it sounds like you taught in Texas your whole life. Correct. So, I, I don't necessarily want to ask for you to compare Texas to another state if you haven't taught there. That being said, if you could just kind of describe that. Texas system that out here in Illinois we talk about?
1: Well, I... You know, I think there are lots of misconceptions about Texas in general, and I smile as I say that, Um, you know, I actually just said today in rehearsal, I was talking to the kids about the metronome, and I said, you know, I know that everybody thinks that those Texas bands only can play with a metronome, and all they do is just play, you know, but we can be musical and use the metronome. You know, I think, (laughs) (laughs) you know, one of the things for me, you know, I'm all about alignment, and I just think, you know, before you can make it musical, in my opinion, is that it needs to be aligned. You know, it's like a puzzle, and you got to put the puzzle all together before you can actually give it most and start doing all these things and giving it more direction and and push and pull the line. Let's get it all lined up first and then we can add all that extra stuff. And, you know, I think that there are a lot of bands in Texas that people don't hear that actually do that, you know, very well. Um, As I've gone to other places around, you know, the country and taught in different different areas, different states, you know, the one thing I do notice is that these kids are so musical. You know, you walk away and you go, my gosh, those kids are, you know, as about as musical as they come. You know, but then you go, "Um, you know, but they lacked an ensemble skill, you know, just understanding, you know, how to fit inside the ensemble. And they also lack in in um, sometimes, not always, but sometimes in just like tonal concepts, you know, just understanding like what does it sound like to be fundamental on your instrument, you know, and that's not to knock anywhere that I've been because I've had wonderful experiences everywhere. And if every place I go, I leave with a different, um, understanding and a different belief in you know their system and what they do you know sometimes you go into it not knowing and then you walk away and you have a better understanding you know and so um but for texas you know i I, we are just metronome we do metronome freaks we are you know and i um don't think there's anything wrong with that Mm -hmm. you know but i do think it's a great way to help develop internal pulse and help the students understand you know how rhythmic alignment and how rhythms line up and work together and i think that's really important especially for young musicians when they're just starting out you know there's so many things that you know you're young students are trying to learn, you know, think about their foot and, you know, what is it, to play with the correct embouchure and the correct sound and articulation and lining up the tone. I mean, it's just, there's so many things, you know, and so I think the metronome helps aid those kids in so many ways. Can it be a crutch? Absolutely, it can be a crutch, but it can also be a, an aid to help those students become even more successful and even more rhythmic, rhythmically sound before they, you know, try to do all the other musical elements that we, you know, fall in love with and we love to hear when ensembles perform. Mm-hmm.
0: So we talk about that metronome. Then is that something that you know? Is, is there a system for using that? Like you, you're rehearsing with it up until two weeks before the concert. Correct, you're rehearsing it with it you know, until the concert, how does that typically look?
1: You know, and and I'm going to say this in speaking for most Texas band halls. I do believe that most people use the metronome up until a certain point. Okay. And then we wean our kids off the metronome, you know, and you can, and we do that a lot of ways by going half tempo, you know, on the metronome where the metronome only beats, you know, on one and three, and then you take it when you beat it on one. And then after that it goes away altogether. You know, one of the biggest faults that I've had is, you know, <laughs> not, this doesn't happen all the time, but you know, people go, well, when did you take the metronome away? And I go, uh, in the warm up before the concert <laughs> you know and everybody laughs you know and I'm like well we were having problems you know so but that all being said you know I we do wean ourselves off of it I do think it's really important for us in Texas as we begin to work on rhythmic alignment you know as we're trying to get parts aligned and get everything in place and then once you do that then we can take the metronome away and then work on the musical side and musical elements of, uh, of the music that is being presented in front of us but we do wean ourselves off of it a whole lot sooner than people realize and I think they just assume you know there are a lot of preconceived notions about any state you go to you know what they're doing there and unless you've walked in those shoes you don't really know you know but yes we do wean off you know and i try to get off at least three weeks before the concert you know before we perform i think that's that's my always my target goal and and i'm also the one that does i call it slow motion band so the metronome is really important for me during the slow motion band part just because it's so you know we're doing everything so under tempo that it helps hold everything together when there's a lot of notes on the page that are happening at one time
0: so I have um, I have one of those harmony directors. Yes. I typically will use the metronome on that. Mm-hmm. I also have the old school pyramid TikTok. Mm-hmm. So my band's 76 players, my top band. And I, I mean, I've just had issues recently where the more we've used the metronome, the better. And, and this is a me thing. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to those transitions, you know, we're doing some orchestral transcriptions uh-huh. now and everything. That's been a nightmare for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I've even I've even looked at it of like okay is there some type of program I can do where it's going to gradually slow it down and everything and then I'm like no I think we just need to
1: I agree there are like you know and like these these marching bands in Texas as you know and listen I love Texas marching bands I'm not knocking them but there are all kinds of programs and you can program now in like the Dr. Beats and in the tempo apps and all those kind of things you can actually program you know rhythmic tracks that happen so that the tempo does slow down at a certain point and things you know so there are those apps out there that you can use where people do that I don't use those I am a avid Harmony Director user. You know, I use it all the time for tuning chords and and building tone qualities and creating sounds, you know, that type of thing. But I'm all about taking the metronome away. Like, usually, you know, it's going and going until a certain point. Sure. And then I just reach over and tap the button. And then that's when I expect all the students to begin watching. And we do a lot of counting, too, of, like, how you're going to count you know they vocalize and subdivide out loud as we work, So because I want them to feel that, yeah. and so um, we do a lot of vocalization without the metronome and them watching, so that when we do take the metronome away, they automatically know that this is where we're going to start subdividing, and then of course as we wean ourselves off, now it's become ingrained, they're like walking, and so they feel that rhythm and that's what we want them to do, and they feel that tempo and so, um, yes t- and you can use those different apps, but I just think, get rid of the metronome altogether and make the kids watch, and I think it's important, because then you know they're looking up and they're
0: actually sure. watching you So what is slow motion band? Is that just as simple as it sounds? Simple as it sounds.
1: I just take everything, especially like even if we work and I'm the the master of like starting sometimes I go too slow too long I think you know but that's how I clean you know so much technique and then you know then we speed it up little by little by little and then we maybe at like 112 and then we realize like oh we're still struggling a little bit and then I will just drop it down to like 70 you know and then we'll do it at 70 and rep it like 5 or 6 times slow motion band and then go back and put it right back at 112 and usually it cleans itself right up. But I think sometimes the Kids just need slow motion band because their minds are there's so much going on on the page and they're thinking about so many things when it comes to tone, articulation, rhythm, technique, the style. You know, there's so many moving parts, you know, and you know, in my world, I teach so many young kids, 11, 12, 13, 14 year old kids, you know, they can't even remember what they had for breakfast, you know, and so. That being said, sometimes they just need that extra little help and then we go back and put it back in time. It's brilliant. I think everyone should do it. It actually works. And listen, sometimes they just need a little like refresher, slow motion, and then put it back in time and it's all fixed. Mm. And it can be said too when they're dragging in tempo. You know, I am also the master of rehearsing things 20 clicks faster than I wanted to go. You know, when they're under tempo and under tempo and you can't do it, rehearse it faster, get them to play it in time at that tempo, then go back and put it at 112. And they'll be right in time and you don't have to worry about it. Like, that's a great rehearsal technique that I think so many people don't know. But again, coming out of college, I didn't know that. Those are things that I've learned along the way, you know, throughout my, you know, career.
0: Is, is, is that rehearsal process the same with each of your bands? Because I know you do the honors band at your school. Correct. You, do, you help with the, is it the symphonic band? And concert band, yes. And concert band, and then you do low brass lessons, trombone lessons. And,
1: right. Well, I teach in the, and now I'm teaching all new different things. So this oh, okay. year I'm teaching okay. beginner I'm clarinet, and then also a beginner trumpet, and then beginner saxophone. Okay. So it just kind of changes year to year what I've had. I've had, you know, Rachel Johnson was just recently teaching with me, and she just left, you know, the teaching profession altogether uh, to do other things, and and so um, now I'm teaching the clarinet class, which before I used to teach the flute class and, and, and the horn class and the low brass, you know, so it just kind of moved around, you know, over time. But um, yes, we use all those techniques in all of our bands. Um, so
0: could you take, so let's make a, a hypothetical kid right now. Okay. And they, they just showed up and they're, they're playing trombone, they're playing clarinet. Just what's, what's kind of the synopsis of each year for them? Like they start with you. And then by the time they're in the the honors band and they're ready to go off, how's that look?
1: Okay, so in sixth grade, you know, one of the things that I think that we do really well at Henry Middle School is we pace the sixth grade year very well. We move very slow in the first uh, semester. Um, I am not. Concerned with how many notes and rhythms they can play by December. I'm more concerned about what they sound like, what they look like, and their rhythm. And so those are the top three things that we work on in the first half of their sixth grade year. Then when we come back in January, if all of those pieces are in place, then you can. Accelerate really quickly and get to the end of the year where they're doing all of the things that you want them to do. Um, I think most people do not teach with priorities, and I think that is the hugest part of um, what we do. Is our beginner teaching is solely around beginner priorities, and our beginner priorities are tone, articulation, and rhythm. And I think if the students don't play with a great sound, no one really cares what they sound like. You know, nobody wants to listen to them. I wouldn't want to listen to them. Um, and I use the analogy with the kids all the time. We've all seen these shows like American Idol and and the voice. I would not pay my 99 cents for someone that doesn't sound very good. And when you put that in in a tangible term for students like that, they get it, you know, articulation. Well, if they can articulate on their instrument, they're going to make a great sound because airspeed drives articulation. And so if they're moving air to perform or to have great tone quality, then they're going to articulate well. And then as long as they understand the quality of articulation that they're supposed to be using, and then, you know, having a rhythmic understanding, if you don't understand rhythms, good luck. You know, so that all being said, those are our beginner priorities. We take our time in sixth grade. I am not so concerned about getting to the end of book, you know, two. I think we were just having a conversation at dinner tonight, you know, and I said, I think I get to like page 18, maybe in the beginner book. And after that, like we don't use it anymore because in sixth grade, we're teaching so many fundamental skills. And I know in our world in Texas, our schedules are a little bit different than a lot of other schedules in other places. And we're fortunate enough that we have a schedule that allows us to um be able to do those things. Um, we I just we make fundamentals fun. And the motto in our band hall is fundamentals should be fun, first of all, and duh, everyone should do them. And if you don't, then you're mentally crazy. You know, and so <laughs> and the kids get it and it's a chant in our band hall. They love it. They show up, they do them, you know, and they have like the technique drills that we do. They love them. You know, they who can play it the fastest with the best tone quality and the best articulation. And I don't do chair tests at all. I do caption awards. So we give a first, second, and third place. And really at the end of the day, everybody knows that's first, second, and third chair. But I also do the caption awards and the kids are more excited about the caption awards than they are who got first place, second place, third place. And that goes for, you know, best tone quality, best articulation, best hand position, best posture, best foot tap, best, you know, all of those things that truly matter that are gonna make the kids the the small skills that you need to make the overall product great. Is what we put our emphasis on, and our kids go nuts over those things. But again, you know, we also make a big deal out of it. You know, you have the, you know, the tone board, you know, and you get a certificate, and so whoever wins the most tone awards at the end of the year, you know, gets a prize. You What's know. the
0: frequency of that? Is that is that weekly? Every
1: that- so we try to test. Um, well, in in sixth grade, they're usually we're on a six weeks. Uh, schedule and every test that we give, there is one test per week. Because in with every test that we give, you can retake the test as many times in the six weeks in which the test occurs. And it's because we want the students to master the skill. And some people have different thoughts on that. Some people go, well, no, I don't want my students to come in and be able to retake the test. Because if they do that, then they don't prepare Before. Well, yes, there are a handful of kids that will do that, but the kids that are going to be your superstars and the kids that truly care, it matters to them. And we do a pass fail, you know, it's like an objective sheet, Mm -hmm. you know. And so if they get 90% or better, then it's a pass. And if they get anything under 90%, it's a try. And the grade still goes in the grade book. So you can, you may make a 50 on the test the first time, you can retake it for five weeks in a row following our feedback and get up to a 90 and that's what I want and anytime a student comes in to retest they hand in the original rubric that they have and we ask them what is it that you worked on what is it that you were going to improve on and they usually will say well I tried to you know work on my articulation you said my tongue needs to come down faster whatever the case would be and we're like excellent great and so then we listen to the things that they told me that they worked on so that's what I grade them on is what they tell me that they have improved on for some kids you know they have like and of the five or six categories that are being graded, you know, they have something in every category they need to fix. There's no way they're going to get that all fixed in one week. So we try to make small, attainable goals for the students where they can come back, feel successful on one, and then try to continue to work on the next one. And every test that we give builds on the one before. And so we do. Uh, rhythm tests and playing test and written tests, so that 's kind of a mixture you know and we 'll we 'll combine a rhythm test and a written test you know because we make them write out rhythms as well as count them and clap them out loud so and I think that 's super important and so um, but we give four to five tests each six weeks with the option for students to retake those tests, some of them are two question tests like what is in it? Write the order of sharps, write the order of flats. You know, that's a test because you got to give tests, you know, to, um, so I don't, one grade doesn't count more than another in the grade book, you know, but outside of that, you know, when we know we have to give those small tests, we'll give those, but we have routine tests that we give each, you know, each semester and each six weeks for all the kids to keep our kids on track with, you know, theory and rhythm. And then, of course, the basic skills that they need for playing their instrument.
0: Okay. And that's, and so that's for all grade levels. All grade levels. Yes.
1: And then in my top band, you know, it's, it's a little bit different. (laughs) It's funny. And I don't mean this in an arrogant way. We've had so many major performances that sometimes those, my objectives in my band have been so completely different than what's going on in all the other performing bands because I'm just trying to prepare eight pieces of music, you know? And so our goals are different and we're not having as many graded pass offs. Mm -hmm. It's more like in sectionals being passed off or in pools being passed off. Um, but um we do that in all of our bands and like this year we're you know back and we're having a normal year at henry uh with my top band no major performances so we are back to our objective sheets and you know of course we have the charts on the wall and the kids love their names on the charts and they'll do anything for a star and everybody will work for a pizza party you know so they're all that's what we're working towards their end of the year pizza party you know so we're getting all of their objectives and their goals checked off in all the bands and all of the objectives are um, in each of the ensembles, at the by the end of the year, we will all have a covered the same objectives that we want. It's right. just the pace in which we get there. The only thing that's different from for my, the top band than my second and third band is that we do major and minor scales, all twelve major and minor scales in my top band. We do not do minor scales with the non-varsity bands. Okay. It's just the top band. And listen, there our non-varsity bands are great, and they're working on their own developmental things. I can teach them minor scales, you know, when they make it in my band the next year, or you know, some of our kids are in lessons they're learning in there but they do not need to know you know and this is my plug i think i said it at midwest last year in that chat room you know there has to be something for the high school director to teach when we get them there (laughs) so you know we can't teach them everything right so
0: (laughs) so what's that schedule look like you said that there's a there's a special schedule essentially Mm -hmm. you guys have can you explain that
1: um well as in like um what our class schedule looks like yeah so at the before and after school, we have sectionals. Um, they start at 715 in the morning or they start at 415 and go to 545, depending on what section you are and where you are. Um, so we do that. And before school, the first bell rings at 845, you know, or we let the kids go at 845. First bell rings at nine. We have a conference period for the first period. And then after that, we have a straight schedule um, from then until 530 because that's when sectionals end or 545, excuse me. So uh, after first period, second period is our uh, third band. And after third band, we have two blocks of beginners, and I'm fortunate enough in my situation where I have all, um, homogeneous classes, you know, with the exception of two of euphonium are together, oboe and bassoon are together. Um, outside of that, everything else, it's in an individualized class. Um, and then we have a small lunch period. Um, and then after that is our top band, then our second band, then we have our final block of beginners and it all kind of runs, you know, straight back to back. And then of course the sectionals that bookend each side of the day, mm. you know, so that works out really well for us. All testing takes place in sectionals and all the non-varsity bands. Um, in my band, it will either be in sectionals or it will be during class depending on what's going on and what we're working on, you know, that week or that time of the year. Um, and then in beginner classes, all tests happen in the beginner class and we are very big on performance in the class because it's a performance based class, you know, and a lot of kids struggle with, you know, having to perform. But it's a performance-based class. And so we try to help them get through their nerves and ways to get through performing and, and not being nervous. And, you know, but that's what our job is in sixth grade is to help them figure out this road, you know, to get them to be successful, you know, because it's a journey for all kids, you know, and so that's our goal is to help them through their journey so that at the end of their eighth grade year, when we're bridging the gap between middle school and high school, where our kids can go into the high school and be a functional member of the high school marching band and not just always, you know, push props per se. Sure. You know, and listen, you've got to have the prop crew and they're very important but at the end of the day our goal is to bridge that gap so all of our kids can participate from day one in the high school marching band
2: okay. I'm, I'm curious with the objective sheets even in your top band but I'm, I'm sure there's kids that maybe struggle in certain areas of their performance maybe mm-hmm. with range or testura with how you differentiate with those and i'm also on the other side since you have seventh graders in your top band mm-hmm. when they are repeating that course again for the second time how do you handle that do you differentiate is it the same Set of objectives. How it's do, the how same do things set work? of
1: objectives each year. The only thing is our kids have the option. We call them level one, level two, level three scales. You may be, and it happens in sixth grade too. So you may be a student that needs to pass off your scales and you're only can, you are going to choose to do level one because that is where you are. Okay. And the other kid may choose to do level two. And they will get more credit because they're doing level two. And, the, and a Sunday student may choose to do level three and they will get more credit. But that is where they are in their development. So a seventh grader may come in and an eighth grader may choose to do, you know, their A flat minor scale, you know, level three. Well, the seventh grader may choose to do A flat minor scale level one because that is where they are in their development. In our third band, for instance, we limit the range of our scales in general like it's one octave scales you know and we only except for the woodwinds the what we do push the woodwinds but in the brass it's one octave scales and we're very mindful about introducing the range for them because the reason they're in that band is because there's something that they're lacking sometimes it is tone and range sometimes it's just a rhythmic you know understanding that all being said you know um we we just differentiate by what band they're in and what grade they're in and they get to choose on those levels you know kind of where Um, they will come in and and they tell us, you know, so we put their, what we want to do is we want them to take ownership of their learning and we want them to feel like that they're in charge of what they're doing. Now, granted, if there's the kid that's not doing it, or we think like, Hey man, like, why are you doing level one? You should clearly be doing level three. That is where you encourage and love and motivate and inspire those kids Mm -hmm. to get them to, you know, to go on. So yes, the objectives are the same. They do change a little bit, um, depending on where we are like we may like this year in our second band they're strong rhythmically like it's just very very strong so we've kind of modified what we've done in the past because that's like way too easy so we've like changed up some of the rhythm things and actually gotten rid of some of that count the the written rhythm stuff and the counting stuff and, and added more playing tests with different rhythmic variation you know so they're still getting the rhythmic part but we're doing just a, a with them playing a more rhythmic variation on that and it seems to be really working out and they're making huge strides You know, and I'm excited for them because the band sounds really good, you know, so that being said, that's kind of how we differentiate between um, the year that they're in band and the different bands, you know, in which they're in.
2: Yeah, because I, I so I was in that chat room that you gave at Midwest. Oh about, yeah. but with uh with Corey and and we I instituted the objective sheet just kind of just kind of guessing based on what and I I think it did have a dramatic impact on especially our younger kids and the beginners and and it's their second awesome. year players. It's really cool. And you
1: know, for like beginners, it's it casts vision for what you want or what the goal is of the class. You know, where am I supposed to be at the end of the year or at the end of the six weeks? Because they don't know anything. You know, it's all brand new to them. For the seventh and eighth grade band student who are, who is in the ensemble, it lets them know, like, here is what I'm gonna be tested on. You know, by the time they get to your seventh and eighth grade, sixth graders are different, or your beginner classes are different. By the time they get to seventh and eighth grade, they just wanna know, like, well, what do I need to know? Like, what do I need to learn? Especially in eighth grade, they're like, well, what, I need, what am I gonna be tested on? Can you just tell me that? That's where they are in their development. Whereas a beginner is like, well, I don't know anything, and oh, so that's what I'm supposed to be learning. You know, so it's a great way to guide, to cast vision and, and help students guide them on their journey journey you know as they continue to to figure out what this is this band world thing that we do you know and for a lot of them their first time Band families, you know, they don't know anything, you know, and you're educating not only the child, but the parent, you know, and so this is good for them and parents at I find love when they know what their kids going to be tested on when they know that my and they love the idea like, oh, my child was unsuccessful and then come back and retake it as many times as and we do a really good job of communicating to our parents after tests have happened, especially to a student who maybe didn't do very well. You know, we take the opportunity to communicate with that parent to let them know, like, here are the great things that your child did today, but here are the things that they're really lacking. And if you guys at home, and my favorite phrase to use is, you know, together we can, you know, because then the parent feels like, man, that teacher really cares about my kid. And we do, you know, but we're including them. So now we're saying, and we want you to help take part of their ownership of their learning as well. You know, and I think that's really important. And I know there are a lot of people that don't like to involve parents. You know, they just want to keep it. I actually love to get parents involved i think it's really important because when the parents are invested they will do everything on their end at home to ensure that their kid is being successful in your class and they'll stay all on them about getting their stuff taken care of we all have that handful of parents that you know are are oblivious or you know it's just not their thing or sports is more important to them you know and i celebrate everything that our kids do you know but getting parents on your side is crucial in my opinion
0: can we talk about some methods? You've, you've talked about metronomes. Mm-hmm. You talked about uh, objective sheets. You've also talked about assessments. What are some other methods that you use um, for tone, intonation, articulation, uh, whether it be a method book or some things that maybe you've developed or compiled on your own?
1: Awesome. Well, um, I will tell you that we, for fundamentals, we use the Foundations book. Uh, Foundations for Superior Performance is where we teach all of our daily fundamentals out of. Um ensemble fundamentals, let me clarify. Our daily ensemble fundamentals. And that's where our scale and technique drills and exercises come from. All from that blue book. Um, outside of that Every section in my ensemble and all of our bands have instrument specific fundamentals. So everyone, like flute players, have a packet of instrument specific fundamentals that they do that are specific to just their instrument and that are not going to benefit the trumpets, you know. And, but same thing, the trumpets have something on their end that won't benefit the flutes. And those are the things that we work on in our small group instruction when we have them. Um, and then of course we utilize the harmony director a lot. You know, and um Brian Baumage and I just put together a book um that we where we utilize um all of the in that book is, is skills that I use with the harmony director and how I utilize the harmony director uh to help build tone quality and tonal awareness and tuning, you know, and it's playing chords and open fifths and drones and getting our kids to fit their sounds inside of that. And we were talking about this today in your band hall. You know, I when we are droning those pitches, you know, we want the kids to fit their sound inside of what they hear and match, like open up your sound and make your sound just as round as the pitch that is coming out of the Harmony Director. And we don't turn it up loud, it's down low, just enough where a kid can hear the waves when they're not matching, and also hear when their tone is not coming out, the same tone that's coming out of the Harmony Director. And I think those some of those skills are tough for people who don't know You know, uh, how to utilize those things. But really, once you get into it, you find that it's really kind of easy. You know, I've also found that there are a lot of schools that don't have harmony directors, but they have handheld tuners that make sounds. You can still do those same kind of things with. Um, the handheld tuners that just put out a sound on, you know, the, the pitch of the, of the, the tuner that's there. You know, I think it's really important for kids to understand how to approach notes and how to come away from them. You know, what is it, what is the natural tendency of that note as you're going to it? And what are you going to have to do when you come away from that note? to to make it be in tune and how does it fit in relation to the chord but before you even get that depth you have to back up and do like let's just get the notes that you play in tune in the scale you know up and down like let's start there that is the basis and once they can do that and understand how to get those notes in tune then you can put it inside of a chord because then they're more aware of when a note is in tune and when it's not in tune so then they automatically you don't even have to talk about like this is 15 cent sharp and that's flat and this is four cent. you don't have to talk about that just like you look at them you go make it sound right because if you've made them that aware with on the easy stuff when it comes to the quote hard stuff they automatically adapt with no problem. And I think the mistake that many people do is they don't tell their students to listen. You know, you have to make them aware. And I know there's the whole um we in Texas a lot of bands use tuners and pickups. That's like a huge thing. They're a tool that we use and my kids use them a lot during the warm up and we take them away during the music and let's be real and this is what I tell people all the time I don't care. We could be playing a five page piece of music. I guarantee you that those kids are not looking at that tuner. Even if it's plugged onto their instrument, they're not looking at it because they're so busy worried about the notes and rhythms on the page, you know, that we're, we have tuner moments as I call them, you know, and this is a moment where it's like, that is a really hard, you know, diminished ninth chord. And I need you to look at your tuner at this time and make sure that it goes to the first triangle. You know, that being said, that's a tuner moment outside of that they're not using those moments like we're not utilizing that. And I think some people think that, Oh, they only play in tune because they look at their tuners the whole time. It's just not possible for them to do that. I wish, you know, but it's not, we, we just train them to use their ears. And I think we do a lot of singing and that's another tool. And I think a lot of people don't sing. And I think and, and that people are afraid because it's banned, you know, and we don't sing in band. Well, actually, and I always say the first instrument was the voice and everything that you do has to emulate the voice. And if you can sing it in tune, then you can play it in tune. If you can hear it, you can play it. You know, and and it's worked all the time and it works it's true. It, it that's the truth. And you just have to get your kids sold on it. And I think some people are afraid, you know, my biggest phrase is, you know, we don't sing because we don't want to we don't sing because we want to be a choir. While there's nothing wrong with choir, we sing because if that is what's going to make us a better musician. You know, and when kids can understand that, and I actually have my choir director. This is how serious I'm about it. We have a choir director that comes over and she does a vocal lesson with all of our bands in seventh, eighth grade, the first you know, two weeks of school. And it's great because then the students realize like, oh, like they are really serious about like the choir thing and singing. And we like spend time on like what to do and the vowel shape inside of your mouth and what your tongue is supposed to do and how you raise in lower pitches. I think that's really important because that all actually translates to their instrument, you know, the exact same type thing. So, um, it's really great. Those are tools that we use, you know, along the way. I love the harmony director. It's great. It's a great tool. Not everybody has them. And I, I think some people think, well, I can't be successful unless I have one of those. I disagree. You know, there are ways to, you know, even if you can just play a pitch on a, on a metronome, you know, or a tuner, if it can sound a pitch, you can get kids to play inside of that pitch, you know, and I think that's really important. And some people just don't think about those things. And I also think that some people feel are, are, are so stressed out about the curriculum that they have to teach. They don't feel like that they can get to those things. Mm-hmm. And I just think, well, I disagree with that. It, it's all about where your priorities lie. And I think about it's where you want to get your kids at the end of. Their beginner years, you know, where do you want them to be before they walk into your seventh and eighth grade ensemble and sit down in that group? What skills do you want them to have? And what, what do you want them to know? And how are you going to get them there before they walk in and they're in that group? And so I, those are the tools that we use. I, I, you know, I, I don't think band is hard. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) I don't think band is really that hard. But again, for some people it is. And it's just methodical. You just got to think about it, you know, and don't overthink it or try to reinvent the wheel. I think that's the big thing people do. They try to reinvent the wheel. Don't do that. Use what's out there. Learn from those that are around you. Everything that I do in my band hall is stolen or borrowed from someone else. You know, and I am not interested in reinventing or coming up with the new, latest, greatest way to teach. You know, articulation. What are the things that I've learned along the way that are great? Now yeah, there are always little trinkets and tools that you pick up along with like oh i'm going to use that phrase or oh i'm going to do that those are the kind of things that are more tools in your bag but the basis or the foundation of those things don't try to change that learn from what's out there and then build pick up tools and put them in your your bag along the way you know i think that's really important but that's
2: just me you know everybody's different well and i think it it can be difficult sometimes when someone's kind of like to if someone were to come and observe your program to not be overwhelmed by everything they see, not realizing that you evolved into this Mm -hmm. as a teacher. I mean, even as uh, this is my 23rd year and watching you work with my kids today, it was overwhelming at times. Everything that you were covering and everything you were talking about and I was, as I was furiously taking notes, um, knowing that I wanted to change, just realizing that, you know, you evolved into this and a lot of these things that you're trying to fix is, stuff that I need to do with my beginners and yeah. not, not necessarily we'll work on them with the older kids, but really address it with from the very, very beginning.
1: Well, I think people forget they don't know because nobody knew Henry middle school back when it was getting threes at UIL contest and they were not very good at all. And there was a million kids in band. And they didn't sound like the instrument they were holding in their hand. You know, I mean, it was, you know, I remember getting there going like, Whoa, you know, and just with the guys that I was working with and, and, we just had to change it. And it wasn't until I, you know, got there and took over and then hired, you know, Kara Vernon, who is now in North Carolina. Um, she and I, like, took that program. and I remember us sitting down once we got there, and I was, like, going, what are we going to do? Like, we have to, and she was the first one to go, Robert, remember, this is going to have to be baby steps. And I remember that, you know, just like yesterday. And I was like, and I'm very impatient at times, you know, and I was like, okay, but we had to think about it. Like, what are we going to change this year? That's going to have the most effect in the years to come. And then what are we going to check, change in the next year? And you can't just walk in and get rid of everything the first year. You know there are certain things that you just got to do. You know, and it's like I will eventually weed those things out. You know, now there was a favorite piece of music I liked to play, and I did live. It's like, oh, it's out of print, and we lost the score, and the kids like, I'll find it, and I was like, no, it's out of print. You can't find it. (laughs) No, but you know that I got rid of the first. I'm like, no, we are not playing that piece. But that all being said, you know that no one knew that, but it took us time to get there, and. I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of great mentors throughout my time, you know, that have taught me a lot. But I've also made myself anytime there was someone that I respected that was teaching or doing a clinic or doing something, I had myself there. And, I, you know, it's when we go to these conventions like Midwest or TMEA in Texas or whatever. Some people go. And I'm guilty like I go and have a great time and enjoy my friends, but I also am sitting in the clinics and I'm not one of those people that feels like, well, they're just, oh, they're going to talk about, you know, how to be a great assistant again. Well, I don't need to go to that. Well, no, I'm going to go to that because while I'm not an assistant, I'm going to mentor an assistant that I have. These are ways that I'm going to continue. Sometimes it's a refresher of like, oh, yeah. I forgot I need to do that. Sometimes it's like, Oh, I never thought about that. And you're right. That is kind of their role. And that is my role as the head director. So I, you know, I think one of the things that, you know, I've done over time is just really kind of had a vision for our program and kept trying like clawing away at it, you know, and like just keep going and you can't give up. And it's like what we tell our kids. It's a journey and we don't care. Yes, I want their outcome to be great, but what is the what what did they learn through the process? And that's what I'm always doing. What am I learning through the process of where we're going that's going to help us achieve the goals that we want? And there are times sometimes that we've surprised ourselves and exceeded our own expectations, and I think that's awesome. But again, I truly believe that if you can motivate and inspire a kid, get them to fall in love with what they do. Our job is to teach them how to, yes, play their instrument. You're right. But it's more important, like teach them to fall in love with playing their instrument and to have a special place in their heart for music. They will do anything that you want, you know, and they will learn anything that you want. It's like they're eating out of your hand, you know, and I just think that, um, you just gotta be willing and open to fail. As I tell the students, I think I said it here today as well. Um, the only way you get better is through failure. So we have stumbled along the way and we've had a lot of failure that people don't know about. All they see is the success, you know, and cause that's what shows up on like YouTube or wherever the case would be. The success, not all of the failure. And so that's kind of how we've paved our way to where we are now. And it's tough. Sometimes the biggest shoes as Steve Wessels from Cedar Park high school once told me the biggest shoes to feel are your own. You know, you feel the pressure, you know, like of, of maintaining that high level all the time, especially when there's director changes. And I like to send my directors on like, I hope they stay with me long enough to grow you know, but then after that, I want to see them spread their wing and fly. Mm-hmm. You know, spread their wings and fly. Like, go on. It's your turn to shine. You don't need to live in these shadows forever. Go out and do your own thing and you reinvent the wheel in some way. Not necessarily reinvent, but like you go out and do something great with the knowledge that you have and let's do, see all the great things that you have, you know, to offer our profession. And so, that's kind of where, how we've gotten there. Um, and again, People don't, and I can play your recordings in the bad because the bad is bad, (laughs) you know, but I have like all the hidden like removed from Facebook, like take all that down, (laughs) like ah, get rid of it, you know, but outside of that, you know, it's been a journey for sure.
0: So, you know, I think about, when I read your bio, just an insane amount of successes for you and the band, and then um, as Chip was just saying here, you know, it's overwhelming but you evolve from that we actually have a lot of new teachers that Mm -hmm. listen to this so you know what's something your first one two three years that you weren't very good at that you had to get better at
1: well I will tell you I remember standing on the podium in my first couple years and it was all coming at me and literally like almost crying thinking I don't even know what to say like I don't even know what is going
0: on Like right You now. knew something was wrong. Knew you something was wrong. <laughs> yes.
1: I always tell my first few teachers, there are two things that I always want you to do. If you don't have anything to say, always comment on their tone quality. If, that, if you don't know anything else to say, comment on the tone quality. The second thing is expose and fix. If you don't know where the problem is happening, just stop and just hear like, let me just hear the clarinets. And then add the next group to that that has the melody. And just break it down and put it all back together. And I think so many people, like, it seems like you stop and you hear that and you go, oh, well, duh. But we don't think about that in the moment. You know, you're just so overwhelmed and you're so stressed out. You know, the one thing I would tell any first-year teacher is, when, when in doubt, ask questions. I was never afraid. And I was so honest with my kids. Like, I would look at them and go, stop. Ms. Trainings doesn't know how to fix that and I but I will have an answer for you tomorrow and I would get I'd walk out of that rehearsal and get on the phone calling people like hey here's what happened in my class today I have no idea what to tell them to fix it like any idea and I wouldn't just stop with like one person I would call like three or four people and get three or four people's opinion and then I had like three or four new tools in my bag so I'd walk out and what the first one I'd say wouldn't work so then I'd go to the second thing and it would work and I'd go Awesome. Okay, so I know that works in this situation. Just like when you go to other, like do region bands outside and other places are outside of the state. You know, you you have four or five ways to say things, say things but like the fourth way is going to work here but that wouldn't work in Texas. It would work saying this would work in my situation. You know, so you just got to have those kind of tools and never be afraid to ask questions and break things down. Always comment on tone quality if you have the opportunity and when you don't know what to listen for, walk away from the ensemble. When you're standing on the podium, it's all coming at you just sometimes walk away let them play listen they can play together and they will just w- and stand to the side and just listen sometimes I remember I used to turn around and face the board and it was chalkboard at the time you know I was trying to face the chalkboard and just like listen without looking at the ensemble so that I could hear everything that was going on and what didn't I like you know the one thing also that I always did was record and that's the hardest thing to do to listen back is you record the rehearsals and yes, at the beginning of my career, I was kind of adamant about it and spent like, I listened to the entire rehearsal from the moment that it started to the moment that it ended, you know, and now I don't do that anymore. I still record, but I record segments of things, you know, and I listen back to those chunks to identify and isolate. It's, at the beginning of the year, I do record of a lot of our fundamentals to hear you know because you 're commenting on so many things and you 're fixing so many things and that you miss something it's inevitable you know, and you can 't hear everything all at the same time. so I record a large chunk of our rehearsals at the beginning of the year fundamental wise you know and then of course, as we get through the year and we start doing more music and less fundamentals, then i um then record just chunks of the music as we rehearse. I don't need to record myself, you know, beating, you know, notes and rhythms. I don't need to record that. You know, what I need to do is like here, did, did what we work on in the run and the chunk that we worked out, is it effective? You know? And I tell you what, it's funny that we were talking about your horns today, Chip, because, um, one of the things that I realized in recording is that I always miss the horns because of just the way they were, where they were seated in my band hall and the bells went to the back. You know, and so by recording, I was like, oh, the horns are like straight up missing all these partials. Like, how did I miss that? You know, but at the time you don't hear it because of where they are in the ensemble, you know. And so then I had to learn to station someone there on that side of the ensemble. Whenever I was rehearsing, I even put a video camera. I used to videotape the back of the ensemble where I would just see the horns the whole time because I couldn't see their hands when I was on the podium. You know, that way I can see their hand and hear what's
0: coming out of their bell. I'm (laughs) I'm, I'm laughing because two weeks ago that was happening to me and I walked, I said, what are you playing? And they said the same thing you've been letting us play for the past four weeks. (laughs) And you're like going, got it. (laughs) I was testing
1: you. (laughs) It happens, you know, and it's just you can't hear everything, and it is – and the recording stuff is great. For a first-year teacher, I think that's really, really great. And, you know, for those people that have long drives home, that's the perfect time to listen to them, you know, is when you're driving home. Now, some people go, well, this makes me depressed. And I'm like, "Why well, aren't you already depressed when you leave school anyway? <laughs> well, you're like, oh, my God, every class was terrible today. I'm like, Don't, you know, it's fine, you know. Uh, get you pumped up to get home and, you know figure it out, you know, so that type of thing is really, really, really important and really crucial, you know, I think so. And for first year teachers, I just cannot say enough. Don't be afraid to ask questions. And when you're around others that I learned this a long time ago, when you're around others that are smarter than you, just listen, just sit there and be a sponge, soak it up and think about it and, and remember those things. And don't try to interrupt or in, in offer your advice because you don't really have the experience yet. You know? Listen to those who are smarter than you. And I still do that today. You know, there are so many great mentors and so many great speakers that are always presenting at like TMEA or TBA or Midwest or you know, any of these great conventions. And you just go and you just sit and you just listen you know, and just absorb everything they have. And sometimes it's things you know and sometimes it's a new way to think about something that you already know.
2: You said a couple things uh, early on, uh, going for kind of thinking back to the new teacher thing. And you mentioned having a vision when you first started at mm-hmm. Henry. Um, what was that vision like, um, first of all? How important is it that a young teacher have a vision for what they want that program to become? Um, and then I kind of have a follow-up as to what your current vision is for your program. But mm-hmm. well, I'll let you answer that first one first.
1: Um, when it comes to the vision, I, when I started with my vision, it was just my first vision was this – we need to get the kids to sound like their instrument that they're playing. That was vision number one. Like, what am I going to do? And it started with my sixth graders. Like, what am I going to do to get these kids to make sure that that they sound like they're holding a trumpet and not that they're just blowing on metal, you know? And so are blowing through metal. That being said, um, I think that was a great starting place for us. You have to also look at other programs and the successes of others around you and kind of decide where you want your program to fit in that. And I would never tell someone to walk in. It's like when I have student teachers, I always look at them and I go, please know that this is not a real world situation. You're not going to walk out into most jobs and walk into a situation in which we have set up here. It's just been a project over time and we've gotten it to this point. And I think um, our my first vision was the tone quality thing. you know. And then my second vision was, I just want us to like all get ones at UIL, all three bands to get ones at our state contest. And then after that, it was like, Now my vision is like, I want us to make top seven in the state honor band contest. You know, so I kept moving my visions and making them bigger and bigger as we like would achieve a goal. Then it was like, now we need to bump up a little bit and achieve a goal and bump up and achieve. And I think that's really, it's continuous improvement. And I think people don't always have continuous improvement. There's like, oh, okay, we got a one. Okay, we're at the top of our game. And I'm like, well, not necessarily. And when you stop and feel like that you don't have anything else to learn, then you know there's a problem. Right. That should not be happening. You should always want to get better at what you're doing. And when you stop learning, you should leave the profession altogether. So uh, that's kind of how our vision start or my vision is. And I think for a first year teacher, like a first year teacher's vision is like, honestly, like I just want to have successful beginner classes where I don't screw the kids up. That is a very tangible, like achievable goal. You know, like, let me just not screw up all the kids, (laughs) you know, that I teach. And let's be real. We've all taught kids. We're like, Oh gosh, I screwed that class up. You know, it's like but you have to learn. And I think a small goal and then giving yourself bigger goals that leads to your bigger visions is great. If you walk out and say, I want to be McCracken Middle School right from the start, that's an unrealistic goal and an unrealistic expectation for a first year teacher. You know, so they have to make it smaller and then make it wider as they go along and use the programs that you see that are around that you look at and go, wow, I want as motivation and inspiration and that's where you want to get to. But what are your small goals and your pit stops along this journey that are going to help you make it to that destination? And I think people don't think of it like that. They just like immediately, like I want to do that right now. And it's like, well, <laughs> it d- You don't just like walk out and like, Oh, I'm going to go buy that at the store. You know, it's like, no, you have to like work hard to get there. And it's a process. Um, as for, did I answer that question? I think that's yes, she did. Okay. Yeah. And then as for the current goals of our program, well, maintaining, you know, is the biggest goal for me. You know, as, when you anytime you have director switches and people who either switch positions or brand new, like I have a first year teacher and she's dynamite, but she's also a first year teacher. You know, so she's learning and she's have she's had her first. It was awesome. She had her first like hit the wall for so long. I was like, this girl is like does she not not have any feelings? Like she's like a rock, you know? And she's like, she would come in every day and be like, I'm not tired. And I'm like, what? Like, how are you? I'm like, I'm exhausted. How are you? Not? She's like, oh, it's fine. I have thick skin. I have thick skin. And then last week she was like, Oh my God. And I like looked at her and she was like, had come back, I think from the restroom and she had been, crying. And I was like, Oh, she hit that wall. And it was perfect. Cause it was that time of year for our new to profession teachers that they got like their care packages from the students where it was like love letters and thank you notes and you know, all these kinds of things. So it all kind of worked out perfectly, but she hit that wall where she was like, I feel like I'm a horrible teacher. And I just, and it's like, ah, oh, you finally have, it. it's like, no, you're not a horrible teacher. It's just like, but you're just learning, you know, this is all new for every, for you, you know, and it's new for me too, because now I'm teaching new beginner classes myself that I'm over 100% as well as mentoring you and helping you get through your classes at the same time. You know, and I think that's, um, so for me, you know, it's just like maintaining the same program with the same expectation and the same standard with new teachers and new positions. And Andrew is now teaching the second band, still teaching some of the same beginner classes, but now he has a new level of expectation on, on him. And a new learning curve, you know, and I remember telling him at the end of the year last year, I was like, you don't know what you're in for. And he's like, oh, it'll be fine. It's not non-varsity. And I was like, no, no, no. You don't know what you're in for. And then like the first six weeks of school, poor Andrew, you know, he was on a notional roller coaster. You know, it was just like he was just overwhelmed but we've worked our way through it and he's doing such a great job now you know but it's like we had to help him get there you know and so just right now just maintaining you know i would of course love to you know win state honor band again you know um for the fourth time that would be awesome and then go to midwest again you know we're back up in you know 2019 is that right yeah 20 or 2020 whatever, whatever one of those years 2019 you know we can record again so I'd like to, you know, come back here. Um, now there's the whole, like, I kind of want to go play in Carnegie Hall. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's like, that just seems fun. You know, so um, that's on the list, you know, of things to do. So just kind of um, really what I want to do is just continue to have amazing bands and put out amazing kids. One of the things that I think we do so well at Henry Middle School is develop the individual musician. The individual player that we put out is incredible. And it goes through our high school, and then I see our high school bands doing all these things. I'm like, holy smokes, like these kids can play, and you're just so proud. And all of these kids are going into music, you know, and it's so great, you know, and it's so great to see these college professors at like Midwest, you know, and they're like, oh my God, like <laughs> you guys are sending us incredible kids. And that is the hugest compliment, you know, that man, we have changed these kids' lives for the better, you know, and they are doing something great and they love music. They have a passion for it. So, you know, the biggest goal for us, I think, is just to continue to put out, you know, vision, is just to keep putting out great musicians no matter what that looks like you know and i'll tell you what i'm getting older so all this traveling stuff is starting to get a little <laughs> stressful you know it's like inexpensive you know so back in the day when you're young you know you could waste all this money and it was no big thing now you're like stressed out about it and tired at the same time <laughs> you know but that's kind of where we are um and we'll see you know there's always there's a tons of rumors out there about what i'm going
0: to do and i
1: like to keep everybody on their toes suspenseful
0: <laughs> I've heard none of them. So don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> Let's talk music. What are some uh, pieces or some uh, favorite composers that you might want to recommend or you just want people to check You'll, out?
1: For young teachers or just in general? Or Yes. Uh, listen, I am all about the classics. Okay. I have many schools of thought on this. The new music is great and there are a lot of new composers out there that are writing really great music. And your people like... Um, Brian Baumages and and um, Jack Walds and Willie Owens. Those people have like found their way, and they're like now writing really great literature. You know, and it's like awesome. You will never go wrong with a classic. The reason that you know, first sweet and knee flat is first sweet and knee flat is because it's great music. You know, now that's not what everybody's gonna go out and play in middle school land, but, you know, the the classics are things that are there for a reason. You know, and I think that, you know, don't abandon the classics. But then there's also great music that's coming out by new people that I think people are not aware of yet. And so I encourage people don't be afraid to play things that are new and to give things a try. You know, I think uh you were just saying Chip that like you're doing the female composer thing. Mm-hmm. You know, which actually you said that in the car and I thought That's kind of brilliant. Like, I think I want to do that. Like, Carol Britton Chambers is writing great music, you know? I mean, all these composers around are doing so many wonderful things that. Um, that we're, we sometimes get so stuck in a mindset of one composer that we forget, you know? So I encourage people to listen to everything. But, you know, my, really some of my favorite composers for young band literature, which that's where I'm going to approach is Brian Ballmages, Willie Owens, Jack Walls. Those guys are writing great things. Julie Giroux writes really great music too. Um, not, sometimes it doesn't fit everyone's fancy, you know? Um, of course, you can never go wrong with a Robert Sheldon or Robert W. Smith melody. Man, those guys know how to write lush, just, Rip your heart out melodies that people walk away, you know, and they just love, you know. So I, you know, you can't go wrong there for your really, really young bands. Like, don't forget about John Edmondson and Ann McGinty. Like, that stuff's really good and it's tried and true and it's been around for a long time, you know, and it's, it's, it's being played for a reason, you know. Um, so those are some of the guys that I, you know, play the most, I guess, you know, um, in my middle school for my, our younger bands, you know. And then, of course, as we get into the older bands, you know, my band plays a lot of, uh, standard, You know repertoire, um, which I love. I think we were just talking about you know some of those things this week. Um, And then, but I always love to play a standard. I love Sousa. That is one of my Sousa's so hard, and a lot of people don't play Sousa marches because they are hard, you know. But it makes me grow. And I feel like if your band plays great on a march, they can play anything. If you can get your band to play a march stunning, anything you put in front of them, they're going to be able to handle with no problem. And so the 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 um, demands of a march are just so well beyond what you could ever imagine that when they play things that are not a march it's like cakewalk to them so um i love susan marches i also love king marches as well you know those are a lot of fun and of course you know everybody loves like valdrez and you know um those kind of things if i had it my way i would have played march militaire francais last year but wasn't just why wasn't gonna happen <laughs> not enough time um but yeah
0: what's our you know you just mentioned march militaire are there any other pieces that are like your your dream pieces before you retire you know what's what's that piece
1: well i think there are you know there could be a lot of the method we were just talking about some of those you know tonight listen i love to kelly and i think kelly's a a genius um and i love angels in the architecture (laughs) i really do love that piece i think it's incredible you know um southern harmony um which watch out for that (laughs) that's all i'm gonna say um uh southern harmony definitely um i love um commando march i think it's just awesome kids love it you know it's just dark and angry and you know it's just (laughs) awesome um we are you know we played the first movie of tritico i'd love to be able to play the whole thing sometime i think it's so brilliant and so well written and you just have to be able to sell it to the kids right and they just have to be able to perform the start out of it you know are you Uh, thinking about playing commando not this year. Okay.
2: No. That's on your list of maybe. Yeah,
1: but don't tell people what else on my list okay. yet. No, gotta I was, keep saying,
2: I, was not, I was just you met, you mentioned the command. So I think one of the f- things that young teachers sometimes tend to do is over-program. Absolutely. Uh, and you're you're I mean you, you go on you March. go on YouTube and you look you look at some of the pieces that you that you have done with your kids which would I think make most middle school band directors very nervous about overprogramming. How do you, how do you know if you're going to over when you're when you're looking when you're doing that piece you just throw it in front of them and see what you got um is there a, a voice in your head that tells you yeah i can do we can do this i
1: think that the biggest mistake people make when they program for their bands is they don't really know their ensemble and i really get to know my ensemble i know my kid and so many people program for the top players in their bands and that is the mistake they make and you have to program for every kid in the ensemble. And one of the things that I really strive to do is have depth, you know, and our non-varsity band are, you know, um, especially under the leadership of Rachel Johnstone. And now it'll be the same with Andrew Binkerd. but, um, she did such a great job of helping set our kids up for success and bridging the gap between sixth grade band and being in band. You know that by the time they got to me, I had depth in all sections from top to bottom, and a kid who was seated in the first chair could play the first part as well as the kid seated in the last chair. And I think so many people think that like there's so much cutting that goes on, and I, no, every kid, and that's one of the things I pride myself on the most. Ninety-nine point nine percent of everything that you hear on some play, every kid is playing every note the only time it's cut is if we needed like there's a flute solo going and there's 50 other people playing the uh you know harmony underneath or the melody, you know the accompaniment that's just not gonna be heard when it's all in the low flute and like you gotta thin it out the ensemble out for that that's not because they can't play it that's a balance issue right outside of that I make sure that every kid can play. And they have to pass it off, you know. But I'm also, like, I don't kick things up. Cindy Lansford would tell you. You know, she gets mad at me all fussy. I shouldn't say mad. She do not get mad. She hates <laughs> when I say that. She gets fussy with me whenever I don't. Like, she'll come in and be like, turn the metronome up. Why are we going so slow for so long? And I'm like, well, because this is what everybody can do at this tempo. And then when I finally do turn it up, it, like, locks into place. And the style takes care of itself. Everything. You know, but... I don't think people think of it like that. And so many people want to go fast right from the beginning. It's like, what's marked? 120. We gotta go 120. Well, no, they're also, you know, 12 and 13 years old. You know, they don't need to go 120 yet. They need to go 80 until we get it all learned. And then everybody can play it. And then we move it up. And of course, you know, you always have those one or two kids at the bottom of the section that struggle, but we give everybody it's a journey for every kid. Everybody's on their own journey. You just have to take time and get them there. So for me, I just really know my aunt I know. I also know the kid, like for instance, you have to know what kind of trumpet section you have before you choose something like Danzon number two, you know, like you have to know that you have the personality in that section for that kid to play that part, you know? And so I think those are one of the things like when we did uh, Yiddish dances, you know, last year, Freylocks, that fifth movement. Um, I knew my clarinet section. I knew that that was a personality of that clarinet section. I also knew that I had killer horns, and I knew that my trumpet section was going to be stunning, and that all of the other stuff around it was playable. You know, like, you look at it, and you go, yeah, everybody can do that. But the people who really had to play, I knew that their personality really fit that. Some people just don't get to know their kids like that. And I think that's another thing, when we have other directors that teach other beginner classes, you got to get in there and get to know those kids. Because those kids that make your band that you didn't teach in the beginner year... You got to have a relationship with them, you know. You got to know them, and you got to be able to relate to that kid, even though you didn't teach them every single day in their in their first year or first two years of teaching or playing. Excuse me. So, um, I just really take the opportunity to really think about um, the time frame that I have, the ensemble that I have, the strength that I think that those kids have, and we also do live auditions for every kid at the end of the year before we place in ensembles. So every kid play, I hear every kid in our program play no matter what band they're going to be in, whether it's the top band or repeat beginner band, right? Every kid. And then I know, and they fill out a questionnaire, you know, that asks them a few questions that lets me know like what band they really should be in, you know? And there are just those questions on there that kids that they don't even realize what they're on there for. But I know like that's, I know that this band is not for you. You know, like, do you like Rubik's Cubes? You know, if you like, okay, like they're like, no, I hate them. Then my band is not going to be for you because this is like a Rubik's Cube. (laughs) You know, we got to get this figured out. You know, that all being said, you know, we let the kids tell us what band they're interested in being in and we lay out what the expectation is. Like, if you're going to be in the honors band, here's the expectation of what those kids do in that band. You know, same thing in the symphonic band, in the concert band, and so on and so forth. So I just think it's really important that people, you know, we kind of, yes, pre place kids we kind of know where kids are going to go prior to their auditions but there's some kids that shock you that come in and you're like oh I didn't expect that kid to be able to do that and then there's the flip side of that where you have kids that come in and they shock you because you expected them to do a whole lot better than what they did and they came in and it was almost like a disappointment you know and so and those are the ones you kind of have to have to sit down and and like I'll call the parent and like, like can we meet like before we place this kid in a band let's kind of talk about what he did in the audition what we've seen all year kind of what direction he's going you know and I again we build so many personal relationships with our kids and their families you know that I think that really helps along the way um, so when I select Lit I'm just very mindful of also the time frame that we have to learn it in like what what is our time frame? Do we have time? Is this a true attainable goal for the amount of times that I'm going to see you and the amount of rehearsal time that we have and when we have to put this up on the stage? And I am not about putting up things. I, as I tell my kids, we don't just go out there and just like play through notes and rhythms. That's disrespect to the music, disrespect to the composer, and like especially when you play the classic stuff. Like we just don't disrespect music like that. You know, I'm even, even in pep rallies, I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but I, it's a pep rally is a performance. And I expect my kids' pep rally music to sound great, even if we're going crazy and wild out in the pep rally. You need to sound great. And the same time, we play the Veterans Day music, and I expect you to sound beautiful on the Veterans Day music because it's a performance, and these are our nation's songs. You know, like I, you know. So, and when you can tap into the kids' emotional side too, the, that those kind of things ring a bell, and they work a little bit harder, and it means something. And I always try to relate everything that we do to what the kids have going on in their life, or something that is tangible to them where they go. Yeah, okay, I I can do this. Or I I want to do this because it means so much to me. And so um, that's kind of how we approach literature. You know, I'm very, and you know, with my non-varsity bands, we want them to be smart. I want to challenge them because I want those kids to play appropriate literature. But where we push all the kids is that last concert of the year. That's when we like put something out there that may be a little bit too hard for the kids and just get them through it. So they can wiggle their fingers, what it gets we may not play it on the contract, but it's like let's see how far we can push them and how far is their technique and their ability come over this year and sometimes they shock us on that stuff. It's like, oh, they can kind of do it, and that's how I know they're ready to go you know that kid those kids are ready to go, and listen, our second band literally uproots and comes into the top band every year like that's and that's the way it should be and the third band feeds the second band, the second band feeds the top band, and then my top band feeds you know the the third band at the high school, and that's how it should be you know if we're doing our job right freshmen go into the third band of when there are yeah. four and five bands at the high school you know and then our top band freshmen you know and then they'll work their way up and earn their spot into the top band you know in their junior and senior year and i think that's how it should be
2: how much music do you have you mentioned like sometimes you hand out music with almost no intention of playing it right just to work on it how much is what percentages of that um is there uh that's not a very good question um, but, 10%, but About
1: 10 about 10 of the music that we hand out is something that we just a lot of times it's just like let's just read it for fun you know i my kids are really invested in what we play okay. and i also let them make a lot of recommendations like right now uh, contest music rec- recommendations are coming in you know like english folk song suite came up you know because we were already going to play the march from english folk song suite or 17 come sunday but there are kids that have suggested that we do the whole thing you know and so Sometimes I'll read music, or I'll borrow it from like the neighbor high schools, just to read through it, so they get the experience of like reading through it. You know, like oh, we read through it; it's kind of cool. And so they also go like, oh, Mr. Haring's didn't pick this for a reason. He didn't pick it just because I selected it, or because it's like we just realized, like, like, guys, that's really not attainable. Like, don't, it's fun, but like you see, like we don't have enough time. They're like, oh yeah, yeah. I'm like yeah, like cool. It's cool. Like that's what you have high school for. We'll get there, right? Yeah. Cool. Now you've cast vision for them to be in high school band. Cause you go like, this is a piece that's for upper level kids, you know, but about 10% of the music that I pass out, you know, I'm not about wasting time, you know, but I'm, I will, it's good sight reading skills too. Like it's good for them to like read through things that are hard. And, and we, I don't know about you guys here in um, uh, Chicago, but we have a sight reading portion at our contest where it's pretty, you know, it's pretty, you know, stressful, you know, and the kids have to be able to read, you know? And so this is a great way to work, get them to work through reading, you know, music. We have no rules out here. You have no rules. It's the wild west. It's great, and we have all kinds of stuff. It's crazy. So yeah, I know I can talk a lot. So hopefully, I gave no, you guys no, information. I apologize. Fantastic. I can ramble.
0: What um you know if, if people want to uh, learn more about you, I know there's your your school's website. Is mm-hmm. there any other resources that you'd like to direct people to? Well, you know,
1: uh, I don't have I, I don't have any personal website. Actually, that's something that I thought about doing. You know, coming up. Um, and I actually am getting ready. So be on the lookout for Band Hall Brilliance. It's coming out, and it's a um. Website that we put together. It's an online teaching tool. So basically, it's where we, I will be sharing with some of my great colleagues, like Ryan Johnstone and um, Corey Graves and and Robin Wilson, who was my middle school band director and it was running the website for us. But it'll be um, an online uh, tool box, as we're gonna call it, um, where basically it's just a ban- you'll be able to submit questions and we'll be able to answer. We're also gonna try to do like once a month live feeds. You know, where because you know all of our lives are busy, wish we could do it more, but once a month live feeds, where we can go in and like talk you know, about a broad concept or, or something that was asked on the um, on the website. And then we'll be posting a lot of information that we use, like tools that we use to teach scales and this, et cetera, et cetera. We're gonna just put all that stuff out there. And I know some people will say, well, just make a book and all that. And yes, blah, blah, blah. I think that's all great. But I also, listen, Somebody helped me along the way and that's where I got to where I am. And while money is important, you know, I also um, want to be able to help others too because somebody helped me and they didn't charge me for it, you know. And so that all being said, if I can help someone in that way. But, of course, if anyone ever has questions, you know, you can reach out to me. My email is on the website, the Henry Middle School website. I share as many things that I have. You know, I have no problem doing that phone conversations i'd love to talk to someone if they have you know need help or you know meet up with them at midwest you know for coffee or something it's great you know um i love to talk band it's my favorite subject
0: (laughs) well chip thanks for hosting us out here and and guest hosting uh with me here today
2: you're welcome this was fun
0: and uh robert thanks for flying out here exclusively for this (laughs) podcast you know uh, i wouldn't have missed it i appreciate that quite a bit so thank you very much thank you